the jolt. This is the jolt with Larry Flick on Sirius XMLQ. That is brand new music by Jimmy Somerville from the album Homage. That track is called Some Wonder. I'm Larry Flick, and you are on Sirius XM LQ. And so is Jimmy Somerville himself. We have him on the line from the UK. Hello, darling. Good afternoon, Mr. Flick. <laughs> How are you today? I'm good. I'm actually very, very good. Oh, you're very, when you're very, very good, then you yeah. might need to share why. You see, I'm very, very good. I'm bored and tired. I've been very, very bad. I'm <laughs> enjoying being very, very good. <laughs> well, congratulations on the new album. It's as beautiful as I knew it would be. Uh, homage for you, uh, those of you who haven't heard it yet, is uh, is a collection of new songs uh, crafted by Jimmy that pay tribute to the uh, the purity of the disco era. Um, it, it is for out of all the records that are doing this uh, right now, and there are a lot of people who are feeling the disco fantasy. This is the one that feels authentic to the ears of someone who was there the first time. So, why did you want to do this? I think really what you just said is really why I done it. It's like because I was there the first time, and what I've come to realize during the process of making this album is that. Probably like yourself, I think we are now of a generation that can actually go back, say like 30 years, 35 years of our musical history and suddenly realise, for me, I realised that disco travelled through that journey with me. You know, I, I went into New Wave, I went into Electro, I went into Rock, I went into Punk, I went into electronic, all that kind of stuff, but disco always had this strand that was just weaving its way through my musical journey. And I think I'm also of a generation, and I'm maybe the first generation that has like a long period, say like 30, 35 years, to look back on a musical history. Before that, people could only maybe do that if they were really into classical or blues or jazz, that kind of thing. But that whole pop, disco, all that stuff really started in the mid-70s and moving on sort of thing. So it's a kind of, um, it's taken me back to where I, where I came from musically. Because I remember my first real kind of going to a club and my first moment of being in a club with a big sound system on a dance floor. And it was to Donna Summer's 17 Minutes of a Love Trilogy. And I'd done those whole 17 minutes in a pair of cowboy boots. <laughs> Do you remember what club? Yeah, it was called Shuffles. <laughs> <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> but it gave you life, right? It gave you life. It really did, and it kind of, I suddenly, it is, it was a kind of, it was one of those light bulb moments, and it gave me such a, it's, such, it, it's given me a great sense of, of musical history and musical, a musical journey. And then also through this process, it made me look back at that period because I could look back on reflection. 
And some things popped into my head, which I suddenly thought, oh, my God. It's like, like the village people, we always associate the village people with YMCA. I mean, it's a given. Yeah, they'd done an album called Village People, and there was four tracks on this EP. And what I come to understand is that was a map. That was a musical map of gay America. You had Absolutely. You had Greenwich Village. You had Fire Island. And I remember the first time I heard that, don't go in the bushes, someone might grab you. I was like, oh, my God. It's a map. That is a musical disco map of gay America. You know, it's things like that. It's like, wow. So, and the genre, realizing that the genre was about gays and, and blacks and people on the margins coming into the light and coming out of coming out of the basements and coming up into. Into 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 the into the light, and then of course there was a whole disco sucks movement, and that wasn't just people who didn't like disco. That was white heterosexual redneck America basically saying, "You've got too much of a voice now, so we're just going to put a stop to that." So you know, so the history of disco, it's more than just a pair of platforms and a pair of flares. It's absolutely just soaked in. A struggle of people's, I think, people's liberty, their, their um, of discrimination, of liberation, all that. It's, 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 it's massive. And I suddenly got a greater understanding of that because I looked back and that was really... So this, this album, if anything, has been a real, real brilliant experience for me. Well, it's, it's amazing to hear you say all this because sometimes when you're the oldest guy in the room you start to question whether or not your memory is serving you correctly. And I was a, I was a, a teenage boy during during the uh, the first strand of disco, and I, I you know I had a girlfriend, and we went disco dancing, and and that was how I was first exposed to it. And and I remember feeling this kinship with disco that I couldn't identify, and this kinship with certain people I met at the clubs when I would go with my girlfriend, and. And not really fully getting it or fully understanding what really was going on. And there was a period, particularly here in New York, because I'm a native New Yorker, uh, when I say to people, isn't it interesting how gay is cool again? And they say again. And I'm like, well, clearly you missed the disco era. Because there was a period where in order to get into the right club, you had to be gay. And getting into the club was everything, was Absolutely. everything. And, and the one and only night I ever got into Studio 54 should have been the night I realized I was gay because uh, Steve Rebell was working the door and he pointed at me and he goes, you. And I got in and I grabbed my girlfriend's hand. I'm like, we're in. And he goes, oh, no, not her. Well, yes. You. And I the gave whole, her. Yeah, it was, a whole, it was a whole social thing. But also for me, what I realized as well was like, when you were in that club and you were on the dance floor, it was the only place where basically gays could say, you're not telling me what to do. I'm doing what I want to do and I'm going to do it on the dance floor. And that yeah. was a real, it was a, it was a place to escape. It was a place to indulge in outrageous behavior. It was a place to indulge in acting up and just being flamboyant and just singing along and twirling and just letting rip, really. So yeah. it was a kind of, it was a bit of a therapy session. Really. It really was. It really was. Talking to Jimmy Somerville here on Sirius XM LQ, the album is called Homage. And when you listen to this record, it's it's actually, it's funny you use the word roadmap because I would use that to describe your album as well because a lot of uh, throwback records that are out right now 
are living in the the mainstream disco fantasy. They're emulating elements of chic. They're emulating elements of got to be real. And if you listen to this record, there are threads of that, but there are threads of, you know, people lot non bololo, and there are elements of of Alec uh, Constantinos, and they're you know they're I mean it's like it, it this is the deep dive into disco. You can I can hear the influences of not hit records that were only club records on this record. Yeah. It's really Absolutely, beautiful. I spent so much of I spent so much of my teenage years and my youth in clubs dancing to records that just didn't hit the mainstream. People didn't get it. But those are the records that I've went through through my, my musical journey and these are the records that I still play and that I still love. And I think it is because they didn't hit the mainstream because they had something different, they had something special. And a lot of them were telling little stories and a lot of them were such little kind of things of escapism. You know, for me, it's, it's great. One of, my, one of the ones that I still play, and I play it so loud, especially if I'm in the house doing domestic duties, I love playing Marlena Shaw, Take a Bite, you know, the whole first side of it. It's just such a great kind of, it's just a great fantasy kind of like escape kind of like album. It's brilliant. Mm, genius record oh my gosh i need to go listen to that today <laughs> you just gagged me uh but you know i when when i was uh getting ready for you to call today i was thinking about you because jimmy and i've known each other a really long time and and i've before we got to know each other i was a fan and and i always i've always thought of you as being um a messenger and uh, and a teacher more than uh, a pop star because you know, homage is not the first record you've ever made that mines uh, culture, deep culture. I mean, I feel like all of your records have to some degree, and I feel like you've actually sacrificed a lot to to teach us. Do you ever think that yourself? Um, I kind of, I kind of understand now what what it is that makes me want to make music. What it is that makes me want to sing and to to write, and it's because I want to try and express something and and. And I, I want to do that through my heart and through a kind of, through an understanding of, of, of where I am at that moment in time and where I am in the world. And, and it's that, I, I do understand that I'm not the only person who will feel like that or think like that. So I like the idea of to make something that someone else will actually listen to and hook into and actually grab onto and think, oh, I get this. I can, f- I can feel something in this. I can hear something in this. And that's really what, what, it, what it does for me. And especially on this album, I was just completely taken by trying to just create something that, first of all, is a feel-good, that has a real emotional, kind of like energetic, uplifting element to it, but also has a kind of the, frag- the fragility of my emotional being and me not being afraid to say things in this album about where I'm at. Because I think for some people, when they listen to or read the lyrics, they will be able to read between the lines about where I possibly am in my life at the moment and what has changed for me. And, and, and I think also a little message that I'm, I'm trying to, to carry. So, What would you say is the primary thought or idea that you, you want to communicate? I... It's, it's for me in this. So this this album is, is kind of I've, I've kind of written written this album. So it's, it's coming from me a lot. But it's about what it's about the experiences I've had. But it's this understanding now of that I 
that I don't need to, uh, that I'm not kind of, um, I don't need to isolate myself and I don't need to be alone and that everything that I do now, and I have done and I've never actually really understood it, was coming from my heart and me being an emotional, an emotional being and an emotional creature. And I've had my own demons to, to deal with, you know, and a lot of that has been to do with kind of like, it has a lot to do with kind of chemical substance and, and alcohol and stuff and, and me working through that and finding a freedom in sobriety and the but that can only I can only sustain that by by connecting to the world and actually being open and actually having and realizing that my journey is about engagement and being part of so this that really is what this album a lot of it is about for me do you feel that some of the um the tougher more controversial decisions you've made in your life you made under under an influence that might have played out differently if you were sober yeah i I think definitely definitely i mean for me it's like again disco for me is like i i have i have a kind of very very split personality relationship with disco because part of it was about my liberation and my freedom and my real kind of feeling of belonging but at the same time it was it was it was a kind of way for me to escape on the dance floor and I dived headfirst into a self-obsessed hedonism and that took me along a route. But I think also because, and you know, I don't have problems I'm t- talking about this anymore because it's, in some senses this is who I am, this is what, what's happened. So I, I now understand that I also, when I look back at my behaviours and certain things that happened, I also suffer from addiction. So I... I was kind of like in the throes of not realizing that I was actually, I was in the throes of kind of like active addiction. So that kind of played a massive part in a lot of the stuff that happened to me. I became very famous and I craved the attention, but there was a part of me that absolutely was traumatized and terrified of the attention. So I was ping-ponging in and out. And that's not a really good way to kind of like for your head to be in. (laughs) No, it's not. But, you know, it happens. We were talking earlier about um, uh, pop stars and and how uh, you don't really understand what fame feels like just until you until you take, you know, say the Facebook phenomenon. Now, multiply that one or two, uh, three people who are always, you know, shadowing your your updates. Now multiply that by a million. That's what it's like to be a pop star. And <clears throat> and 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 it will mess you up. It will seriously mess you up. So uh, in, in you know to, to to reach all the way all the way all the way all the way back. I've always wanted to ask you this and and now it feels like it's okay too. Do you think that what happened when Bronski beat was was meant to open for Madonna? Was that was what happened to you when you were when you were nabbed in the park? Um, did that was no, that was, was more, that part of your addiction? Kind of, it's like I understand as well now, all the way through my career and all the way through my life, I've built things up to pull them down. I've built things up, and just as they were going well and things were successful, there was an element of my my mental state which would then pull it down and self destruct and sabotage and I went through most of my life doing that yet my music has been my saving grace because every so often I would have I would connect to my heart and I would I would sing and I would write something that I believe now was a real it was coming from my emotional my emotional core 
and it saved my life on so many occasions because it almost like gave me breathing space. Mm. And then, but suddenly I would go back down into the depths, and then I would come back up for air through my connection of using my voice as a way to express something. So it's been a it's been a bit of a ride. <laughs> well, yeah, but yeah. So let me Jimmy Somerville with us here on Sirius XMAQ. I'm Larry Flick, and uh, we're talking about his life and his new album, Homage. Um, is that why you <laughs> is that why you wound up working with some real jerks in your career? Because <laughs> I, I I'm gonna be yeah, honest with you. Yeah. I know I know a lot. I, I like I know the Bronsky B dudes. I know Richard a little bit from Kamiya, and I'm like, good lord, these are assholes. I I realize as well now. This is this album is the first time that I've actually. I can listen to this album from tracks one to track 12, and I can look at this album and everything about it, and I can say, i done this, I'm proud of this, I believe in this. I don't look at it and think, could have done that, should have done that, wish I'd done that, why didn't I do that? I, didn't, I haven't done any of that in this. And I'm, I've embraced the whole process. And it's been a real project of love and understanding and kind of, yes, yeah, awakening for me. It really has. This is me. I actually, this, is, this sounds nuts, but I now actually think that from this album, I truly have actually recognised myself as a competent singer and songwriter and artist. And it's the first time that I can do that and feel absolutely believe in that, where I could never do that before. I could never, ever do that before. There was always, always that little voice, no way, no way, no way. But this time it's like way. <laughs> so what was so does that come down to who you chose to collaborate with this time? Um, it, again, do you know what it did? Because it, but the people I've been working with on this album, I've known for twenty years or more. They're part of my extended family, and they've they've saw me go through this roller coaster. And you know what? The great thing is they have always been there with unconditional love for me, and because of me coming into recovery and understanding sobriety and the freedom, etc., I was then able to understand truly what, what that love was. And we worked on this project, and it was a real family affair. And, it was mm. just, and it's full of love, because most of those people on that album are people I, I know extremely well. How are you keeping your voice in such strong shape? Because to sing in, in a primarily falsetto voice is... Harder y'all than you think, and um, and and the older you get, the harder it becomes. Especially if you've had issues with with uh, with substances. How have you managed to not lose your voice? That I that I don't know, but I, I will tell you a funny story. I remember when I, the, the last time the last time I ever had any chemical substance, any alcohol, and the little doctor was this policeman. He said, "I have never seen someone so small with." So much alcohol in your system, but you have the heart and the pulse of an athlete. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I kind of like, I think I did all right out of that, really. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the worst Polish accent you've probably ever heard. I know, but it was, it was adorable. <laughs> Totes adorbs, Jimmy. So <laughs> I, you know, I think my voice is, um, it's actually it's a countertainer. I think if it was falsetto, it would probably be a bit more difficult to sustain it, but it's countertainer, so oh. I, think it can, I think it still gets a lot of strength from the lower, the lower um, part of my voice. And 
in the end, I think it's because with my voice, it's, 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 it's something that is so part of me. It's coming from my very core. You know, I don't take it out of a box and tune up the strings and then play it. It's like, it's so connected to me as an emotional being. So it's so part of me. So I don't treat it too precious. Mm. I just allow it to, to do what it needs to do. That's really good. Um, so are you happy uh, as a gay man now? I'm a man who's very happy with his life as a moment who happens to be gay. <laughs> Which is very different than you used to be, I would imagine. Yeah, and I, I became a gay pop star. I became a gay man, and I became a voice of a people, not through choice, because it was kind of, it just became what it was. And that was because I was being very passionate about the fact that I was someone who was discriminated purely based on who I choose to love and who I choose to to make my partner. And I was motivated by that. And then, of course, I was just a young man during the whole kind of like AIDS, kind of like when we had this, the, the crises when people were just kind of like, you know, popping off right, left and centre. And I was this young man thinking, what the hell is going on? And so dealing with all that. So... And then I got so angry within that and I became even a, a louder voice. So that was inevitable that was going to happen. But it's kind of, it's not, I, I don't see myself with that anymore. You know, there are so many other people who are much kind of like higher profiles who seem to be doing that and who mm. kind of like seem to have, the, who seem to be fine doing that. So I just kind of, I, I just do my own thing. I do my own thing. Do you ever wonder or feel the... Um intensity of having survived the worst what we think is the worst of the AIDS crisis and that's another element of my my, my personal history is that I I now was able to process that um, decade you know, like decades later and understand that I actually had I was dealing with survivors guilt it was like all my friends, people I knew, people I had relationships with. When I came to Manhattan with Bronski Beat and stuff, it's like, you know, I was like, oh, my God, it's like you had to tie me down to stop me just going everywhere and having everything and everyone. Mm. <laughs> and yet some of those people suddenly were just disappearing and I would never hear from again. And, and then being told, you know, when people were dying. And, and yet some of my behavior was as wild as everyone else's, and yet I was surviving. I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't have a, I wasn't, yeah, I didn't have a positive, and I don't have a positive diagnosis, and it's, that, that really messed with my head a long time ago, totally messed with my head. Yeah, it messed, it messed with mine as well, because my, I don't have a positive diagnosis, but my partner does, and, yeah. and, uh, and you just, you wonder how some of us dodge the proverbial bullet, and it's even harder to to get answers when uh, you stop and think about the fact that you and I, because you and I are roughly, we're in the same age range. We don't have an older generation to look upon because they're dead. Yeah. By and large, they're dead. And, and so we're trying to figure it out as we go along. And it's fucking hard, Jimmy. Yeah, and but what I've now actually because I've got a friend who works in social services and what what he's doing is he's now at this place where he's realizing actually there is now this generation of older gay men and lesbians who are living long lives and 
who are now having to deal with old age and sexuality and discrimination and being invisible and all that kind of stuff. And so he's in the process of trying to work with and trying to get government recognition that actually we need to kind of work towards looking after an older, ageing, gay and lesbian community. Yeah, it's... it's so that, that will be... That, and I think that's going to be the first time that we can actually look and actually deal with that and actually bring that to the attention of a younger generation who have to understand that this is what life is about. It's about living and getting old and then having to be looked after in, in, that, in that period of your life. Well, and in an odd way, that brings us full circle back to the album because the album Homage by Jimmy Somerville, whom we're talking to here on OutQ, it talks about the joy of love and survival. To me, that's what I hear. I hear someone who has made peace with it and is maybe showing me how to make peace with it as well because there are times when I walk around New York City and I, all I see are ghosts or I see uh, remnants in my memories of buildings that are no longer there. And, and I, I gave uh, homage a, a, a headphone test when I first got it a while ago, and it brought, it brought my past back, but it brought it into the present, which is very different. And uh, yeah. it's a beautiful, joyful record, Jimmy. That's really, you know, do you want to do my PR? That's really how, <laughs> that's how to sum up this album. It's brought my past into my present. And I want also, I like the idea that there will be a, a new audience that will listen to that and think, what is this about? Where, where is this coming from? Yeah. You know, maybe even, even be nosy enough to, to then start to go off and find out about the genre and what it actually really means and where it comes from. As I said, it's not just about office parties and platform shoes. It's no, like, no. It's, it's history. It's a rich, rich history of liberation, determination, all that kind of stuff. And, and it's, it's, yeah. It's been a real, as I said, it's been an incredible journey journey for me doing this album. It's awakened so much. Well, Jimmy, it's always uh, a, a delight, a treat to, to talk with you. And uh, uh, when you find your way back to New York City, if I don't see you, I'm going to hunt you down anyway. So uh, let's, let's continue this conversation uh, when we can very soon. In the meantime, Jimmy's new album is called Homage. And here is another track from that album. This is called Back to Me. 